Hi, Mike Douglas here with the Mike Douglas Show and Advancing Vibrant Communities on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Our guest today is Jim Morgan. He's the founder of MeetTheNeed.org, which provides at no cost, by the way, the cutting-edge web-based technology that enables advancing vibrant communities to do what we do, connecting volunteers with the needs of their communities 365 days a year. Now, Jim has a unique nationwide view of the church in America and how it's doing in completing the biblical mission to love your neighbor as yourself. Jim Morgan with MeetTheNeed.org. Jim, you have a great advantage of being able to look at our country, looking at the church at large from, if I can say, a 36,000-foot level, kind of looking down on it from your perspective to give you a, a real sense of where we are in terms of our relation to the culture. And right now, Jim, we're, we're looking at a lot of violence, people pushing other people off into the tracks in New York and the subways. Uh, we see houses of worship being attacked. Uh, we see violence uh, unleashed, really. So it seems like evil unleashed in a lot of the headlines that we see today. From your perspective, Jim, let's talk about where we are culturally and where the church is in relation to that culture and where we need to go from here. You know, it's interesting when you, and it's sad, when you look at all that and think about, you know, where we are and you consider, you know, how we got here. That's really where I've been thinking and, and writing and, and praying about, you know, quite a bit recently. And you see that there are, there are aspects of, of what the Christian community does and, and has done and is doing that I think are reflected in, in what we see. And I, what I wanted to do you know, in, in the recent writings and, and speaking I've been doing is to, is to get to the root of, of how America got here. You know, how, how do we get to the point where we are this divided and we have, because we talk about America being divided and, and where, you know, how we got there. What are the, what's the root cause of that? And when you sit down and start to think about it, I have recently, you know, there is some degree of, of culpability, even within the Christian community, where Jesus says that, you know, unity of his followers will convince the world that he is their savior. You know, the Bible says that, you know, yet we, we tend to kind of look at the things happening in the world and say, well, you know, and point the finger at it and say, well, you know, look where, how divided America has become. But I'm concerned that, you know, what do we see as a Christian community when we look in the mirror? Is our, are we divided? And is that being reflected in the world, and if we were more united in how we uh, saw things, you know, our our mission, you know, our uh, politics, even, you know, and and our our purpose in this world, I think that the world would end up a little less divided if we were a little less divided. In times of disaster, Jim, the church usually shows up in in some way, shape, or form, and that's good. But we're talking right now about the day-to-day issues and that issue of unity with the church. And as you mentioned, we as a culture, especially politically, I don't know if we've ever been as undivided, as as uh, divided as we are right now. Uh, it, it is to the point with the cancel culture and such where opposing opinions are not even tolerated. How does the church fit into that, do you think, in terms of modeling what we hope maybe the culture might become? 
Well, there there are years, even centuries, of of division, you know, within the church. And if you look at you know theology and our views on morality, and you talk about politics and where we kind of are there, and this country is very divided. And almost, if you look at it, it's divided around either for or against Christianity. I, I do believe, and I know you do, and many listeners do, that that this, you know, the world God created the world, and and He you know, had a plan to to save the world uh, through Jesus, you know, from ourselves and our own and our own sin. And so there are those that are. You know, because he created the world and because he's the one that is in, con- is in control of the world um, and is in charge, although we do tend to take over and, and, uh, and try to take charge ourselves, you know, we're either going to be for or against, you know, with the Lord, what he intends and where he's leading. And so that's, that's really where I think the world has gotten to, where it's very much, not, it's not just politics, it's not just philosophies or, or, or worldviews. I think it's really just either firmly against Christianity and God's ways or, or, or for, you know, very much in favor of, of God's ways. And so we end up divided. But I, I just concern, again, that the church uh, has become, has been divided for too long, too. And even more recently, you know, we see that even within the church, you know, we're divided and we align with, you know, presidents. We're divided over pandemics. We're divided over progressivism. We're provided. We're divided over to what extent we engage in society versus remove ourselves from it, and we divide maybe worst of all around you know preferences for how we what we want out of our faith and what we can get out of our faith. And those those uh, divisions, you know, again are played out in in the world. And, and a lot of those those errors that we make in in our division within the church. Uh, and how we view these different things that are so important, it does, it winds up making more uh, people against Christianity. That's what my concern is, is to what extent, you know, because there are always going to be people who are for or against the Lord, you know, who are for sin or for, you know, their preferences, their ways of doing things versus subjecting and submitting to the Lord's will. There's always going to be that. But are Christians contributing to that or even causing more division and more people to be against us than there needs to be, or there should be. Like a lot of other things, Jim, what what I'm seeing from my perspective is uh, a polarization, and we see extremes. Uh, Either we see uh, an extreme where people almost want the church to be running the nation, uh, I don't think Constantine was real successful with that. On the other hand, then you have uh, Christian leaders who are saying politics is evil. Don't don't get near it, and let's just crawl in our little bubble here and and stay protectively in our bubble and not enter the fray at all. You, you've been so good in encouraging people of faith to get out and serve as as a, a, a sacrificial service as a means of proclaiming the love, grace, and mercy of God. You see these errors, these poles that we we seem to be going to, the extremes. Can you talk about how we deal with those extremes and how we hit that area where we're really being good salt and light and and people are seeing positives that they're uh, wanting to emulate because they see something valuable there? Well, you you know this as well as I do, because you've been in some of these these same circles uh, that we've traveled in, 
you know, working with uh, Christian leaders, you know, business leaders, uh, political leaders, and and even media, and and we're talking to, and, and you're meeting with them and discussing, okay, where is America going, and if there is a culture war, you know, how do you address it? And and oftentimes in these gatherings of of Christian leaders to talk about where America is heading and what the response should be, you know, so often the conversation for uh, so many hours in those meetings is around kind of the, the seven mountains and trying to scale the seven mountains of, you know, government and, and education and, and, you know, things like that to kind of uh, take over you know, leadership roles. But, you know, in this culture war, you know, to the extent that there is one, uh, that it's really more a matter of the approach being maybe as opposed to an air war where, you know, you're dropping these verbal bombs on people to express opinions about how things should be and trying to, to get, you know, to get a louder micro megaphone, you know, to, to yell from the, the mountaintops, you know, maybe it's more of a ground war of love and compassion. And when I've made those speeches at the end of those uh, sessions with all those leaders, I've oftentimes been through, you know, the days of, of kind of talking about the mountaintops, and, and I bring up the idea of, you know, versus the air war, let's talk about a ground war of, of love and compassion you know, mobilizing the church to to show that we care and to convince the world that's not convinced right now that we care. We don't appear sometimes to even love those, you know, who love us. <clears throat> Yet we, and we certainly don't, aren't viewed as, as loving those sometimes who don't love us. So let's talk about, you know, the ground war. Let's talk about a different approach to addressing this problem. And sometimes even among Christian leaders, that, that approach sounds too soft and, and too fuzzy and and uh and too nebulous to to really understand you know how you would even start that or if it's even feasible and, and so what's more tangible for them is just to to take over and and uh the airwaves and and leadership roles to make sure that our voices are being heard there's a different way to make our voices heard and to get people to listen like jesus did who healed and fed and then people were their ears were open they wanted to hear what he said next because he was working miracles of compassion, you know, healing and feeding and taking care of others, and they wanted to hear what he had to say next. We hear a lot, Jim, about influencers as you're talking. I'm thinking, uh, how, how do we better influence the culture? And, and you hit it on the head a moment ago with the love, grace, and mercy of, uh, of Christ. We hear a lot about influencers from places like TikTok, for goodness sakes, what are we not doing as influencers that we should, and what are the metrics of success there? And, and let's talk about that a little bit, and maybe that speaks to the whole unity thing with the church anyway. What should our metrics of success be as people of faith in terms of influencing the culture? Well, it would, it would involve, you know, if you think about that paradigm of the mountaintops, you know, the, air, the air war versus the, the ground war of love and compassion, it does change you know, quite a bit. <clears throat> The, the metrics by which you determine are we making inroads and in a dent in where, you know, culture is heading or is the church being more influenced by the culture or is the church influencing culture? And so if you're going to begin to really influence culture, it does change the metrics. And as metrics that are not as sexy and interesting to, to some people, uh, it's more the, the slow, you know, progression. But, you know, things like discipleship and and you know, are we really showing not just love to other people outside the church, but are we showing love to one another by building up each other? Are we strengthening each other, being there for each other? 
are we, um, are, you know, to what extent is the footprint of our individual members, you know, with our circles of influence, you know, whoever we know, whoever we have uh, any influence over, you know, are we building into them? Are we uh, showing them Jesus' way? Because ultimately we're not going to do anything better than Jesus did. <laughs> we're a lot better off following his example. And a lot of times I think the church, we don't even know that much how Jesus led his life, and we certainly don't imitate it always very well. So there, there's a lot of education that needs to take place, which is often called you know, discipleship, about how to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And if you want to have influence, then the path is not one of, of, uh, of taking over and, and always leadership. You hear a lot of talk in Christian circles about leadership. Well, how Jesus led is through you know, listening and, and kindness and compassion and concern you know, for other people and not building you know, himself up. So that is the slow road. It's not as interesting for some people to think about what it means to you know, slowly kind of build up an army of, of compassionate, you know, caring, sensitive you know, warriors. It's more interesting to think about how do you um, just take over through force of will and sheer determination. But that is the way of the Lord. That's the way of Jesus. And we should not get confused and get so worldly that we get wrapped up in how business is done and how politics is done and here's the way that the world tends to work in terms of power and influence and the metrics should be a very different set of metrics that look a lot more like Jesus than those other dimensions of society you know how they operate we're living in a in a culture right now Jim where I think the church needs to recognize and I think it it does in general that God's under attack, and therefore the church is under attack as well. We see that in terms of physical attacks uh, on, on the brick and mortar, and we also see it certainly in, in philosophical uh, attacks as well with the cancer uh, cancel culture. Can we talk a little bit, and this appeared in one of your past uh, uh, blogs, about how the culture really is engaging in a campaign of persecution against the church, and with that, how do we respond to that well? Well, the, the first thing is I think people have to kind of get past is that there is persecution you know, taking place in America. We think of persecution as something taking place overseas that's it's so far away. It's something else other people have to deal with. But in America, it's beginning to happen. I know of ministries, I'm on the board of one of them, where they've turned a lot of their attention to persecution on our shores. And even I think one of the most important and, and damaging forms of persecution is in terms of economic persecution. Sometimes it's not as obvious as you know as you know being put in prison or being a martyr and killed for your faith, but it's often economic persecution where you know you lose your your livelihood, your ability to make to make income and to take to care for your family. And you know, certainly there is an attack in America in terms of economic persecution where it's harder to to get a job or to keep a job or even to do business as an entrepreneur if you're known for believing in in biblical values and that's uh, puts you at a real economic disadvantage and, and if you can if you can and some some Christians you know some people people have a price sometimes and even even Christians sometimes will fold out of the pressure of having to, you know, keep their job or to get a job, they may, you know, kind of fib around the edges and 
and not be so forthright about what they truly believe in order to to keep employment and income you know flowing in. So that really is there. There is the first step is there is persecution taking place on our shores. That's one form of it that's very severe, you know, here, and it's going to going to get worse as a cancel culture just will not do business with or associate with or you know somebody who does not believe exactly as as they believe. Um, and then our response to persecution is important. One thing that divides us, I, it's, it's, I'm also on the board of some ministries that, that do work um, with the persecuted. Uh, other ministries, and, and they, um, you know, see that we are, um, you know, not looking out for our brothers and sisters overseas. You know, it's sad that you know, they're suffering, and we have so much to offer and to give to help them out. And there are brothers and sisters, and we are not, if we're not united in helping those of us who are suffering in what is even more extreme forms of persecution, then you know, it, it makes the world wonder, you know, if they're not there for each other, you know, how, then, then something's wrong. Is this faith even worth, you know, following? Is this Christianity really worth following if they're not going to look out for one another? And again, Jesus says that unity and our compassion, our caring, our love for each other is going to be the, the light, the lighthouse on the hill that draws all men and women to himself. Jim, in, in our pursuit of trying to respond to these things, my sense is we tend to gravitate toward uh, very Western strategies in terms of uh, building huge systems and uh, having something at the top that's coordinating everything. My sense is that the church originally grew in a, in a decentralized way, the house churches, and, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, the, the big structure is, is what we need to be looking at today. Let, let's get your read on that in terms of a rigid structure to approach these issues versus a decentralization of the church itself. Well, it's a, it's a really important point. I mean, if you think about the footprint that the church occupies, one analogy you could use for this is kind of skyscrapers. You know, they have tons of people, tons of employees that uh, are all in the building of different companies, and they're all, you know, in this skyscraper. They all, you know, come from all over the city, and they come into this one building, and they, they occupy this one structure that's very, very tall. It, it brings in a lot of people, but it doesn't occupy a very big footprint. And you think about the church kind of decentralized and what that could look like where, you know, there are uh, small groups and, and even, you know, kind of neighborhood groups that are looking out. You know, the pandemic was a great example of this when the church, when the, the sky, you couldn't go in the skyscraper now. The skyscraper was, had to be evacuated and people couldn't come into it and they couldn't gather in this huge mega building or, or mega church, as the analogy goes. You know, they were forced out in their neighborhoods suddenly they had to kind of be the church during the pandemic. And, and how good of a job were we doing as being, of being pastors of our neighborhoods? And we could not say to our friends, hey, come with me next Sunday to a church service. And instead, we kind of had to be the church for folks that were struggling with their health, with uh, jobs, and with income. I mean, there's a lot of folks that were struggling with a lot of things during the pandemic, and even psychological issues, isolation. You know, how good of a job did we do as the body of Christ? in decentralizing when the time came to be the church in our neighborhoods and for our circles of influence, we didn't do such a great job. We were probably more concerned with you know, self-preservation than self-sacrifice, which is exactly the opposite of what 
you know, Christ would have done this. Some great examples of how we try to be the pastors of our neighborhood, you know, during the course of the pandemic and really made a huge impact on people that's never been forgotten, even now that the pandemic's, you know, largely over. And so there's that responsibility and that test case, you know, of that, of how well we executed that responsibility, you know, during the pandemic. And it didn't, by not going so well, it tells us now how to respond going forward, not just for the next pandemic or just in general, how we should operate is much more along the lines of preparing people to be the hands and feet of Christ in our communities, in our neighborhoods, year-round, and, and not just think about how do we abdicate that role to pastors to be the evangelists and the disciple-makers, because we do largely, as Christians, which is very unfortunate, we kind of abdicated that role, the Great Commission that we're all supposed to have, and said, you know, come to our church, and our pastor will tell you about Jesus, and our, our other people in our church or leaders can be the ones that disciple you and lead you and tell you more about him and how to, how to imitate him. It's really unfortunate that we've, we almost kind of pay to abdicate that right. We'll, we'll tithe in order to get the church to take over our rightful responsibilities. We've got to reverse that now and, and take that personal responsibility and accountability we're supposed to have, always supposed to have, as the body of Christ, decentralized wherever we are, workplaces, again, neighborhoods, our social circles. We're supposed to be that. It's just unfortunate that we've taken that approach of how can we build a bigger you know, church uh, and bring more people into the skyscraper. As you're talking about this, what comes to my mind, Jim, is one of the great opportunities for influence is our business community. And how I think in, in the Western churchiness that we often have, we've relegated service to ushering or singing in the choir or teaching Sunday school, which are all good things. But I don't know that we have intentionally blessed, equipped, and released business people and employees to be great influencers for God in our, in our culture. Uh, what, what do you see from your viewpoint? Well, we talk about division, and this is a case where division is very stark and, 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 and again, unfortunate, is that we divide into kind of kings and priests. And the Bible talks, Scripture talks about kings and priests. And the kings, if you think about that being the political or, or business leaders that you're referring to there, you know, we think that, okay, the priests will handle evangelism. They're going to handle, you know, the, the things of, uh, of God, and we're going to live our lives Monday through Friday in this kind of kingly, you know, money-making, earning, leading, managing culture and do what we have to do to get that job done and being a little hesitant about bringing God into the workplace. And that's a real challenge, I understand, but there's not supposed to be this division where the priests, of course, are thinking, well, here's the business leaders that go to our church. They are Christians, but they're business leaders they may be living a little differently on Sunday than they do the rest of the week, but you know they are earning income, and they can then help us, you know, with with keeping this machine that we talked about in the last question. They can keep it afloat because we need income to keep the church, you know, going. So that division in the body of Christ among believers between kings and priests, and therefore again abdicating responsibility a little bit to the priests for things that. Uh, the kings should be doing, even in their workplaces. There are ways to bring Christian values and to live out Jesus' life and his way five days a week, you know, not just reserve you know, God's way for the, the weekend. So that, that really is a, a dichotomy that shouldn't exist. 
we need to eradicate that. We need to see ourselves as, as responsible again in our workplaces for uh, for being uh, for being the church, frankly, within our, even our workplaces, and not just reserve that for something we do on Sundays. Think again about your your comments thus far. The 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 term compartmentalization comes to my mind. Ha, has the church compartmentalized too much? Is that one of the issues that we have? So that uh, the, the the unity of what our mission is maybe suffers from the fact that you know we we have quote unquote the professional ministers and then we you know, et cetera. Have we compart compartmentalized too heavily? Is that one of the issues? Probably, I think it's a fair statement. We, we, you know, we're supposed to be living out our calling, like the great calling, you know, Genesis one twenty eight, you know, to to subdue and cultivate the earth. You know, we're supposed to be living that out all the time, and, and everything that we do is supposed to be reflective of what we believe, of living out that calling, you know, day to day, and we do think of, okay, now it's time for our religious activities, and now it's time for our business activities. And the problem with that is that the world gets divided, as it is so you know, much against Christianity or, or for Christianity right now, because they see that we're not, there's some hypocrisy in that, right? Of course, if we're not living out our faith, living like Jesus all week long, then we've compartmentalized our faith. And people in the business world and in our neighborhoods, they see how we live our lives the, when, especially when times get tough, when times get difficult, they're looking closely to see, is our faith that's supposed to go beyond this world helping us to see things differently that we're facing, that are struggling with in this world? And they're looking at that and saying, well, and that the studies have shown, and Barn has done some surveys on this, that we're Christians, they're Christian neighbors and Christian co-workers, people who are not Christians don't see them as being a whole lot different than their, their non-Christian friends, neighbors, and, and co-workers. And that's, that's a real travesty. And that should not be the case, because the way we should be, if we weren't compartmentalizing, if we were taking our Sundays mornings into our Monday through Fridays, I think there would be a lot more consistency, a lot less hypocrisy, and a lot less division in our nation about you know who Christ is and be and, and about what's important in this world because this world can't offer a lot of hope and people can see that and they're looking to us for hope and part of where they they can see that we have hope is when the tough times come we're looking beyond the short-term depth of of the issues and looking towards something that ex, it goes beyond and gives us again hope well beyond even this life on our last stop of this tour, and, and uh, J- Jim, you've given us deep things to think about. One of the, the big concepts, one of the big buzzwords right now is justice. We hear uh, no no justice, no peace. We, we hear justice used in a variety of, of different ways. It seems to me that the church ought to be at the forefront of justice, but what does that really look like in in today's world, Jim? It seems to me that that word itself is 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 confusing because there's not a common definition of what justice is. Well, one important factor in this is to to mention. It's got to be noted is that Jesus. No one was more concerned about oppression and justice than Jesus was. If you look at you know where he was spending his time 
who he hung out with. He, he was very concerned and very angry about those, those who were causing injustice. And he was very much siding with and hanging around those who were on the side of injustice. And, and no one was treated with less justice. I mean, here's God himself who's come to earth to save humanity from its own you know, demise and decadence. And he's stepping in to the gap to try to, to be there for us and to show God's love and demonstrate that. And yet we hang him on a cross. And we we kill you know, the Creator and, and the one who's trying to save us. It's you know so no so he was very concerned about justice. And but the problem is now is that people are not concerned. Christians are not are not on the same page about the degree to which we should engage in justice issues. Is that something for somebody else to handle? You know, and or should we just focus on kind of more removal from all these things that are happening? But what happens is you know in this debate over you know, how in the world but not of the world we ought to be, which is a debate, you know, for many Christians. They're concerned about being too in the world and making things, because quickly justice can become political and politicized. And so they remove themselves, and so society says, oh, well, Christians don't care. You know, they're not involved in these issues, not fighting for these issues. But to be be fair, in the history of, of issues that are, you know, racism and, and, and slavery, I mean, Christians have always been on the forefront of those issues. And we need to remain on the forefront of this issues, those issues and show that we care. Uh, but we have to, again, it can become very politicized. It's not about candidates and politicians. It's about true caring, concern about those who are suffering and struggling. Because as Christians, we're going to be suffer, you know, suffering more persecution and more injustice ourselves. Maybe it will make us a little more empathetic for those who are who are going through injustice and oppression as well as we are. Uh, you know that that word empathy is is uh, is really good Jim. I think that's uh, that's a great note as well as the fact that I think as the church we need to act the way Jesus did and that is meet people where they are as they are not as we would want them to be. And and just start with where they are. I'm not sure we're always good at that. Very true. Jim, before I let you go at Advancing Vibrant Communities, we would not continue to exist. We could not do our job of serving the needs of the community without meettheneed.org. Can you just talk about meettheneed.org very, very briefly and how people can get connected with the tremendous resource you have? Well, thank you, Michael. We're happy to serve along the great work you do. It's amazing what Advancing Environment Communities does and the work you do. It's been a pleasure and a joy to work with you and partner with you on your mission that God's given you. And Meet the Need, quite simply, is an organization 20 years ago that began to step in the gap. We were dot-com uh, e-business consultants. We came from the big five consulting world and, and Wall Street, and we, we came from those worlds and, and started to realize that the, the church and ministry uh, – kind of world had become fragmented, and we were not united and collaborating very well around helping the poor. So we began to, to pour our hearts in and minds on all, all this business savvy we had from you know, doing consulting work and think about how do we bring those kinds of ideas, those kind of concepts into the church and charity world to help breed kind of collaboration among churches and ministries to, in serving the poor. So we 
began to build all kinds of tools and strategies uh, that really were the inception of things you probably heard of called, you know, volunteer management and event management, case management. Those are pretty popular tools now, but 20 years ago, when the Internet was still pretty young, those things didn't exist. No one was thinking about how do you use the web to, to, do, to do good, to, to, to get people out of the four walls of churches and out in the community and serving the poor. And so we, we've poured uh, 20 years, and, and thank goodness for you know, lots of great donors and providers and supporters that, uh, and great you know, thinkers in how do you bridge these gaps between those in need and those who can help. And we've built all kinds of technologies and solutions to try to help uh, us all do much more to serve uh, those who are in need of help and hope. Absolutely. Jim Morgan, always a pleasure. Uh, appreciate your uh, your observations about where we are. I look forward to uh, seeing you again. Again, thank you for the work you do. Keep on keeping on. And, and glad you made it through Hurricane Ian well as well. Glad you survived that. Okay. Well, thank you, Michael. God bless you.